What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast. My name is Thomas Frank, and this is a show that helps you become a more effective student and hopefully a more financially savvy one as well, because in this episode, we are talking about how to build a freelance career as a student, and specifically, my guest on the show today, her name is Asia Frost, and she started a freelance writing career during her freshman year, and uh, she is graduating this June, and she has paid off all of her of her student loans and also built up $12,000 in savings all through freelance writing. And the cool thing is she started out as a freshman writing for free, just on topics that interested her, and uh, used her experience writing for free and getting more and more bylines under her belt to start getting paid to write. And now she's getting more uh, requests for freelance writing gigs than she can even handle. So in this episode, I'm going to talk to her about how she got her start, how she goes about pitching big sites to get her writing on them, and uh, just going to have a cool conversation. So hopefully you enjoy it. There's going to be a discussion link in the College Info Geek community, which you can find over at collegeinfogeek.com slash community or linked up on the show notes page, which is over at cigpodcast.com. Find the episode 97 link right on the page, and you'll find all the links to things we talk about and ways to rate and review the show, as well as that discussion link. So that is it for this intro. Let's get into this interview with Asia. Hopefully you enjoy it. All right, Asia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to finally talk to you. So I have seen your work all over the internet, uh, which is crazy because I think you interviewed me for your school newspaper a couple of years ago, which remind me, what what was that publication again? Because it wasn't called like San Luis Obispo newspaper or anything. It's like uh, it was the prospect. That's right. So, that's right. yeah, it, it's a website. I, they're still going. I don't still write for them, but mm-hmm. they were one of the first websites that I wrote for. And they do higher education, college admissions topics. Now, are I'm, they affiliated with your school? No. They're, oh, OK. They're a national site. Gotcha. OK. So was that your first I mean, we're going to talk about freelancing for the most part, I think, today, because you've you've done really well getting kind of a freelance writing career going in college, which is amazing. And uh, I'm curious to hear, like, how you kind of got your start. Was that the first site you, uh, site you read, wrote for and were you paid for that one? They did not pay me. They were definitely one of the first sites I wrote for. I can't remember which came first because I started writing for a bunch at once during okay. my first quarter of college and right away I right away yeah because I got to Cal Poly and I was enjoying all my classes but I didn't feel like I was being really challenged and maybe I'm just not someone who's good at having free time but (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I started looking around for for just something to do that would be a creative outlet I didn't start to make money. Mm. Um, So I started writing for all these sites for free. And then I I hadn't been doing it for very long when someone, uh, someone contacted me asking if I'd write for their site. It was, um, they, they, they were regular company, but they had a blog and they wanted content for the blog and they didn't Mm. even ask me how much I charged they just offered me money and I thought wait people would pay me for this (laughs) (laughs) I was just doing this for fun so of course I I, it was only I think it was $40 per article so it was Mm -hmm. not a lot but it was super exciting to me and then 
yeah, that's that's when the wheels started uh, or the gears started turning. I remember my, my first head. the first article I ever got paid for was twenty five dollars, and I was like, "This is all the money in the world." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the first time you do it, it just it just seems totally magical because mm-hmm. you're just sitting down at your computer typing away and then next thing you know there's more money in your bank account and it's just this you know wizardry <laughs> yep the first time you do anything on the internet that results in you getting money you're like what is what is this magical yeah. thing that i have stumbled <laughs> upon <laughs> i have the master of the realm now uh, yeah. i remember i was like i was going through some forum one time when i was a freshman and uh, i was like helping people out with web design questions and code stuff and this guy's like I'm building this website to help people stop smoking and I can't fix this little border issue. And it took me like 30 seconds to fix for him and he sent me 20 bucks. And I was like, I just made like $400 an hour equivalent on that (laughs) or something like that. And it was crazy. It sounds like you kind of started for the same reason I started though. Um, And you started way before I did in terms of your kind of progression through college because I waited until the end of my freshman year to start writing. And at that point it was for fun. Um, what was your reasoning for choosing to write for other sites rather than to start your own blog? I actually had a couple blogs in high school Mm. and I experimented with different platforms. Um, I did WordPress, I did Tumblr and I wrote about a bunch of different things. Fashion, uh, I think I did a vegan food blog for a while. I'm not, I'm not vegan. I just did it for a couple months and then I decided, No, that's not for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a big, I I was vegetarian for a long, anyway, Mm -hmm. this is a total digression. Um, But uh, I wasn't good at blogging, um, which is really pretty funny now because, you know, I I blog all the time. Yeah. On different people's, but I, I never really found traction as an independent blogger. So... Mm that just led me to blogging for other people. So what was the first moment that you said, I don't want to be blogging for myself anymore. I want to write for somebody else. How did you go about putting that into action? What were like the first steps? There, there are a bunch of, well, at first I started just applying for, to write for the websites that I already read. Mm. So there are a bunch of websites for college women and college students with lifestyle tips and fashion tips and just fun, light readings. And so I would just go down to the bottom of their page. They usually had something that said, write for us or contribute. And if they didn't, then I would just email the founder of the website. Sometimes they were too small to really be accepting contributors or soliciting them. And I would just say, hey, my name's Asia. I'm in college and I like to write. You know, are you looking for writers? And so I would say probably for every 10 sites I applied for, maybe three would get back to me. So it definitely wasn't, everyone wasn't saying yes. But um, the more people started saying it's this uh, self-perpetuating cycle because the more people said yes the more clips I had Mm -hmm. which meant that I could give them to other people to show that I was a good writer and then um, at a certain point after I had built up enough clips with people that were big enough to be paying me then I started being contacted out of the blue by editors or uh, blog owners who were looking to hire me. 
Okay. And by clips, you mean like bylines and articles, right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, writing samples. Gotcha. So this first step from blogging for yourself to going to the sites was mainly motivated by the fact that you wanted to basically just get in front of a bigger audience, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Instead of building my own audience, which in my scattered high school attempts, they were never serious. Um, but I had never felt like, oh yeah, this is really working or this is something that I could be really good at. So I thought, well, you know, why not find a place that's already developed an audience and all I have to do is write one post and it'll get out there. Seemed way easier to me. Mm -hmm. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that was the motivation. I think my path may have been similar to yours. Um, had I kind of shotgunned my requests out to more sites because I had my own little personal blog in my freshman year. It was just stories of what I was doing with my day. So nobody read it, of course. (laughs) But I was reading this other college tips website and they put out an advertisement at the end of my freshman year saying, hey, we need new writers. We're kicking out all the ones who are graduating. They don't get to write for us anymore. Uh, And I applied and they rejected me. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to start my own blog then. (laughs) Show you guys. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it was it was kind of that same desire of, oh, this is a huge established audience. I would love to have my work out in front of people, even if I'm not getting paid. Which is, it's kind of funny, like you just don't care about being paid in in the beginning. And I think when you go into it with that uh, mindset, you're more likely to succeed because you're more willing to put in a lot of work when you're kind of a beginner and don't have a whole lot of bylines or clips. Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I've read a lot about, um, I've read a lot of advice from freelancers that say never work for free you're devaluing your work you're devaluing the profession and I just think yeah if you're a college sophomore junior and you don't have anything to show for your talents and you just want to get out there and you're going to be demanding money um, even though you're kind of unproven it's probably not going to work so I think that always charging I mean, at this point, I, I don't write for free. I would mm-hmm. I would never write for free because I feel like I've earned that. Um, yeah. You know, I've earned the right to charge for my work. But in the beginning, then, yeah, work for free. Get experience. Mm-hmm. Figure out and, and ask people for feedback so that you're at least getting paid in, in um, constructive criticism. Yeah. This is something I've been thinking about recently because I've, I've heard the same advice that you hear never work for free you're devaluing your work you're devaluing yourself blah 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 and that's a nice philosophical argument but I think the you know the way the world works is you're trading something of value for something else of value but you have to be in a position where what you are offering is clearly valuable and you do yeah. that by having a past repertoire of work that you can show a portfolio um I have a lot of like people who graduate from college with like an English degree or graphic design degree and they're like, you know, why why am I not getting paid? Why am I not, you know, pulling in the big bucks? I've spent four years doing all this stuff. And I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but I was listening to something recently that made a big distinction between uh, your intelligence is not worth anything. It's what you've made and what you can trade to other people. That's what has value. And your intelligence doesn't show that. Your portfolio does. Your past work does. So you got to set yourself up with doing free work, you know, if that's if that's what's needed. Um, Once you so once you had some of those original kind of things under your belt, how else did you set yourself up to get more gigs? Um, 
Well, I think one of the things that helped is that I've always been active on Twitter. Hmm. And so I use Twitter as a platform to promote my work and engage with my audience. And uh, one of the really awesome things about Twitter is that it's kind of publication agnostic. So um, I have a lot of followers who find me on The Muse, which mm-hmm. is one of the main sites I write for. And they're a pretty popular career and productivity site um, that a lot of people use. So people will find me on The Muse and then they'll follow me on Twitter. And then if I write for a lesser known publication um, or a company blog, then all of my Muse followers will also read that one. So mm. I've managed to gain an audience uh, yeah, that that kind of can follow me across publications. And I think that when editors or clients see that, then that is an attraction for them because they know that I can pull numbers to their uh, posts. So it's like a form of social proof then or kind of like I have got an established audience. So you're not just offering a piece of writing. You're also offering kind of a bump in traffic or some some attention to that writing. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I think that that, I think that's definitely helped me win more clients. Mm -hmm. So I noticed that you have a pretty big following on Twitter. Um, and I was actually kind of wondering to myself, like, how did you build it up so, so quickly? Cause when I interviewed you for the prospect, I think that's when I followed you back then. And it was, uh, it was smaller and like, you've just kind of shot up in the past few years on Twitter. So, I mean, what, is it just a, a factor of writing for big sites or are there specific things you do that have helped you grow? Writing for big sites is definitely helpful. Um, And of course, the more followers on Twitter you get, the more followers on Twitter you get. Because, (laughs) well, I mean, if you think about it, when you have 300 followers, if 1% of your followers retweet you, that's three people. Whereas if you have 3,000, you know, so so it's kind of, it it, it snowballs. Mm The other thing, and I was just thinking about this, um, I'm pretty open and honest in my writing. So I really try to show my personality and, and talk about my own experiences, whether I'm writing about five questions to ask the hiring manager at the end of your interview or how to create a winning sales contest for your sales team. I really tried to to infuse my personality into every piece. And I think that creating, and it's not creating that personality because it's very real, but I think sharing so much of myself helps people feel like they know me. And um, I think they're, they're more likely to follow me and wanna interact with me. I get a lot of emails from people who who read my writing and say that they feel like they know me, which is really awesome. Um, and and it's kind of it's it's been scary sometimes to be so honest on the internet, which is not known for being a hundred percent a friendly, welcoming place. Oh, I know. But that's been the total payoff is is creating these relationships, I guess, with my audience. Now that you've gained a bigger audience and kind of a bigger following, um, do you find it's easier or harder to keep sharing that much like open stuff about yourself? I think 
weirdly it's easier really because yeah yeah and i don't know if that's a function of them or me because in the beginning if i got negative comments on my writing i took it personally and i know you're not supposed to but it's hard not to mm. um i remember one time i wrote this article for usa today college about fraternities and it was an opinion piece and I was a little anti-fraternity. This was back when it was <laughs> almost every week something, some frat was hazing their members or you know something horrible was coming out. Um, and so my, my piece was about abolishing fraternities. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. going to draw some fire. Extreme, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, oh, wow. The comments on that piece were pretty intense and pretty these people looked me up and they found all these details about me and they were using them in the comments to attack me mm -hmm. and um it was hard not to feel anything i think now if that happened to me i wouldn't feel a thing because you just you become totally immune to it and you just realize that people don't know you yeah. Even if they think they do, even with you. So, um, I, even though I'm sharing a lot of myself on the internet, then I know that even with all I share, 97% of me isn't out there and mm. that I can't take any of it personally. Yeah. So I try to focus on the good stuff and then the bad stuff, it just kind of rolls off my back. So after you had that negative reaction to that article, did you, were you still of the same opinion? when you were writing it or did you did they change your mind at all <laughs> if anything they made me go more in my direction because i thought if these are the type of people that are defending fraternities so staunchly then i'm <laughs> i think i'm in the right <laughs> mm. i think i think fraternities are um quite a variable kind of deal I remember I did have to tour one when I was in school or when I was in college because I did like a, a job where I was giving tours of the campus and I had to answer every question students had. So we had to go through there. And I remember one of the members of the frat was giving us the tour and he's we're going up the stairs to the second floor to where the cold airs are. And mm -hmm. he's like, oh, yeah, every Saturday night, one of the brothers has to stand here for the whole night and make sure everyone else is not getting too rowdy and like help other and someone to feel like super drunk. I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm going to pay to live here and I'm going to have to be babysitting people and standing in one spot for hours on a Saturday night. No, thanks. And I was like super anti-frat for a while. But I think I ended up finding out that there are, there's like a wide spectrum of fraternities ranging from like the people in Animal House and accepted to just normal people living in a house together. Yeah, I think you're <laughs> definitely right. There's 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 a whole range out there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I remember I, I wrote an article once. As I've gotten bigger, I have been more afraid of publishing something that I deem not super useful. Because back when I was just blogging for fun, I would occasionally just do like a totally for fun article. Like these are cool iPhone games I like. And now it's like. I don't know. There's just more pressure to like every week. There's got to be something life changing for somebody. And it's kind of built this fear of being wrong that I'm trying to combat. But I don't know. I feel like it sucks a little bit of the personality out of what I do. 
And for, so for me, the pressure of an audience actually makes it worse, but I don't know, maybe there's, that's just something I can work on. No, I mean, I wonder, I think that that probably because you're writing for yourself and you do have this audience that expects something every week. Um, one of the things about being a freelancer is that I'm writing for all these different publications and also I get to talk about a whole bunch of topics, basically almost whatever I want to because I have awesome editors who just kind of let me roam wild. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that that makes it easier as well because uh, if I feel like I've run out of things to say on a certain topic, then I don't really have to write on that topic anymore. Yeah. So I could definitely, I could definitely understand if I was writing about kind of the same sphere of topics every single week for the same audience, that would be a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things is, uh, a while ago, I, you know, I just started looking up like, Oh, is there a scientific study that can back up what I'm saying? And it's like snowballed into this, the moment I tackle a topic, I'm like, okay, I got to go find studies that back up every single fact. Otherwise, I'm just completely talking out of my butt. <laughs> and I, I want to move back to, you know, I read so many writers who just speak from the heart. And I know like you're one of these people. And I like Seth Godin is one of these people is one of the guys I was listening to recently. They just say what's on their mind. And like the world doesn't crumble around them. <laughs> people don't you know <laughs> rise up in angry mobs and, and chase them you know out of town because they didn't cite some study so that's that's one thing I want to work on um so you said you can write about basically anything but do you have uh topics you tend to stick around the most um yes and no so what I do I I'm a huge nerd and I tend to get sucked into these internet rabbit holes mm. and I get <laughs> totally obsessed with the subject and I just want to spend all my time ignoring my homework and reading about this certain subject. So to give you a couple examples, this happened to me with virtual reality and it happened to me with podcasting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it happened to me definitely with user interface and then more specifically user onboarding and just all these random topics just start to fascinate me. So normally then I'll take those and then I'll figure out a way to tie them into whatever my existing clients focus on. So, um, I, I remember I had this, um, I had this client that I was writing about user interfaces for, and so I pitched a story about how what virtual reality can teach us about user interfaces. Okay. Or um, for the Muse, when I was really interested in podcasts, I mean, I still am, um, but when I was kind of first starting that obsession, then I wrote about what the startup podcast can teach you about your career. So it's drawing those connections mm. from kind of one seemingly unrelated topic to what I've already been hired to write about. Yeah. What did you major in, by the way? I'm an English major. English. Okay. I feel yeah. like your rabbit holes in your writing are probably going to teach you more <laughs> your classes. Because I mean, it, you like you're such a practitioner all the time. Every single week, you're forcing yourself to write on a different topic. And combining different things, I think, is, is really a helpful way to make more connections in your brain and just become smarter overall. 
Um, well, this is so funny because um, I I sent my one of my English professors an email, a random question, um, and in my uh, signature, it has a link to my website, mm. which has all my work on it. And I guess she clicked on it and she wrote me back an email and I thought it said, wow, freelancing must be so much more interesting than college. And I almost wrote back, yes, it totally is. Because I, I think that freelancing and all my practical work experience has taught me much more than my college classes where I'm learning about the play of the female artist in 19th century England, <laughs> which is really interesting, but it's also not, you know, totally applicable. Yeah. Um, and so I almost wrote back, yes, it totally is. And thank goodness I reread the email before I did because it didn't say that at all. It said freelancing must be a great college job. It didn't say anything about freelancing being better than college itself. Well, now I'm she's so know. glad. I almost just, you know, totally <laughs> trashed my college education to my professor. I've been more blunt than you. I remember I, I had a computer <laughs> networking say? class. Well, I had a computer networking class. Uh, senior year I think it was and I went to my professor's office hours for some reason and we got to talk and I don't know exactly how it led to this but I basically told him like yeah I have almost no interest in this class because <laughs> I because I did an internship in networking didn't like it and found a new kind of uh, interest in writing and content creation he totally understood because he's like I totally understand this is part of the curriculum you have to take it but everyone's going to have different things that they're into so luckily he wasn't just like, I don't know, offended by it. How dare you not like star and bus and ring networks and TCP IP network. <laughs> yeah. Was you're lucky cool that it. he was nice about it. Yeah. I uh, actually, I think that, um, I got really into that for a while too. When you said TCP, that just, I just remembered something. Um, Google's, um, Google released that new, ICP. Now I'm totally forgetting that. This Are you is thinking about like IPv6 with, or something, or, or no? They. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. The problem with getting obsessed with random things is that then after you ICPT? get unobsessed, you move on. Um, it was this new type of layer. See, this is why I've stopped caring about uh, typing noises in my podcast. Because <laughs> yeah, you're always looking stuff up. Okay. Because <laughs> I just look stuff up in the middle of the show. Uh, I see something about Google I.O. 2014, the service worker. Mm, the network layer is yours to own. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up later. <laughs> I think I'll just have to go through your uh, prof or your portfolio and just link to a bunch of the stuff you've written in the show notes so people can go check it out. Yeah. yeah. So they. So are you saying like they made a new networking layer or something? Because I learned about yeah, seven of them. Yeah, it was supposed to. Um, oh gosh, I, What was it? It was supposed to um, let you jump. I don't know. Now I'm totally blanking. Is it quick UDP internet connections? Yes. 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 I found it. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> I'm good at Googling. 
And for like the <laughs> six people who care about this, I'll link to that in the show notes. <laughs> Q-U-I-C, quick. So you wrote an article about that? Yeah. I And I promise that I explained it better when I was <laughs> writing the article. Um, cool. Well, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes if people want to check it out. But yeah, that's the cool thing about freelancing is you can just get into whatever topic you want. I feel like I have a little bit of that leeway with what I do because college connects to education and education can almost connect to anything. So like I'm taking a yoga class and I'm like, I kind of want to make a video about this. How do I shoehorn <laughs> it into how it makes you a better student? Mm. <laughs> the next week I'm like, I want to make a video about Evernote hacks. And so it's. I think I picked a good uh, topic. My audience graduates away from me every four years, but I think some of them still stick around and then I get new ones, which is cool. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like as long as you tie it to either work-life balance or productivity mm-hmm. or self-improvement, I mean, almost everything links back to self-improvement in the end, right? That's why yeah. 99% of the content on the internet exists, so you can make yourself better yeah there's this uh like rationality blogger named julia galef and she published like this weird san francisco meme space uh diagram but it was essentially like look all the interests in of all these nerds in the city connect to each other in these weird ways like oh yeah weird biohackers are connected to yogis meditating in in the park who are also connected to AI researchers and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in San Francisco, everyone's a yogi meditating in the park. (laughs) And and researching AI in their spare time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have some startup CEO next to... Next to the homeless guy, and they're both doing yep. pro pose. <laughs> Focus on your breathing, man. Yeah. <laughs> you, have a, you have an important meeting later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're all wearing hoodies, so you can't tell them apart anyway. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was the weird thing about San Francisco. It's like cold, and I'm from Iowa, so I figured, like, oh, I'll just be in a t shirt all the time. But no, I don't know. Like it's like it's like a weird, windy chili that gets into your bones. I don't know. It was weird. I love San Francisco. I grew though. up in San Francisco. Did you? So yeah, I have an inordinate amount of love for, I guess, cold against your bones and all the <laughs> fog and yeah, I really like it there. I think I just underestimated it. I was I figured it would be like San Diego. It's not. Yeah, no. I love but San the, Francisco. The winters are beautiful. Oh, are they? the summers, summers, sorry, are beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like San Diego, it's like one long summer all the time. Yeah, it's just never, there are no seasons. San Fran would scare me to live there because I love skateboarding, but that place is so hilly. I feel like I'd probably just destroy myself the first day. Yeah, you'd probably just die. <laughs> when I was there this summer, um, because when I was interning in San Jose, I went to the city quite a bit to, uh, for networking stuff and mm-hmm. to visit companies I was interested in maybe working for after graduation. And I couldn't believe that my car could actually go up those things. Yes. I kept thinking, I'm going to slide. <laughs> I'm going to slide. <laughs> it was really scary. Even in San Diego, which is not as hilly, uh, I brought my skateboard and for the most part it was cool, but so many different streets and it's like slamming my foot down every five seconds to try to not hit you know, 25 miles an hour and lose control. 
which I did in Des Moines last uh, fall. It was not good. <laughs> Have you tried the um, the hoverboards? Uh, no, I haven't. I would like to try one. I would never buy one. Why? Because it's like a thing that goes seven miles an hour at most. And I don't know. I'm, I'm a skateboarder at heart. So like um, if I'm going to get some sort of weird personal transport thing, it's going to be, uh, I don't know if you've heard about it. So you've probably heard of the boosted boards. No, what's that? Oh, really? Oh, have you, have you ever watched Casey Neistat on YouTube? Mm-mm. I should probably not tell you about him because you're going to watch every single video he makes. He's awesome. It's like the the one vlogger I watch because he makes like, he, he makes vlogs a filmmaker would appreciate and he does it every day. But uh, this company Boosted makes this electric skateboard that goes like 22 miles an hour and he loves it. So you see it in every one of his videos. But I found another company that's coming out with one in a few months called the M1, I think. And it's really cool because it doesn't use a belt drive. It actually has a motor inside the wheels. So when you're not giving it juice, it will the wheels will spin freely like a regular skateboard, which no other uh, skateboard does. Okay. Which So I want something that I can push without difficulty, without a belt kind of resisting, but then also have a motor. Uh, only problem is like $1,400. So <laughs> it's oh, like, an investment. Yeah, yeah, it's an investment. There we go. I'll just uh See, I'm lazy so I want the one where there's <laughs> no interaction whatsoever I just stand there totally stationary and it provides all the energy <laughs> yeah well I was thinking about that you know and that was that's like one school of thought and then I went to my local skate shop and I was talking to the the guy who owns it about it and he's like I never want to lose the push man I don't want to lose it I'm like there's <laughs> something to be said for that there's something just kind of I don't know pure about having that ridiculously large right leg. <laughs> My friend is Ryan. Is right leg way bigger than your left no, leg? No, it's not. It turns out skateboarding is not a muscle building thing. It's just, I don't know. My right leg is probably stronger, which uh, I've discovered. I started figure skating because it's too snowy to skateboard. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. Uh, my right leg is way stronger than my left leg. And so my balance on that leg is like infinitely better. And my coach so, is just like, when you get on your left edge, you look horrible. And when you're on your right edge, you look great. So <laughs> work on that left edge like three <laughs> times as much. <laughs> so besides besides figure skating and skating and yoga, what other physical activities do you do? Is uh, there anything you don't do? <laughs> I don't do any team sports. So I don't know. Like right now, my week is lifting three times yoga once and skating practice like five days a week so I, I think cool. it ends up being like 12 hours of activity which is awesome because before january i was probably doing like two hours of activity a week i was going <laughs> to the gym like twice a week and then that was basically it uh once the snow hit i was like i couldn't skateboard and i lost all motivation so that's one thing i learned like if you are just relying on the i need to go to the gym responsibility thing in your head it doesn't last very long at least not for me um, because you you have to generate all that motivation motivation for no real reward other than being healthy and I guess staying thin or whatever. But once you have a sport or something that you're really in love with, anything that you can do to train to get better at it is just like you you'll just go do it. At least that's been my experience. Like I want yeah. to go lift because I know it will make me a better skater. Yeah, yeah, no, that totally works for other people. I just. I'm I'm actually the opposite. I go to the gym seven days a week, 30 minutes. I've been doing it for 
four years. Really? And I, But I'm not getting better at anything. Okay. So basically every four months I switch machines. So right now I'm on a stair stepper kick and I've been on a stair stepper kick for about four months. And so that means I'm probably <laughs> going to start running again. And after running, I'll probably head to the elliptical and then probably back to the stair stepper. So <laughs> do you only just do cardio then? Yeah. How long much. do you do I, it when you're there? Just 30 minutes. So I know you're like you're the kind of person who goes down internet rabbit holes and probably has a very uh, easily distracted brain like mine. How do you yeah. keep your brain from sliding out of your ear when you're on the stair stepper? Because <laughs> I have tried everything. Podcasts. I download YouTube videos to my phone and try watching them. I cannot do the treadmill for more than 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I actually like it because okay. my brain is always it's always hard for me to go to sleep even when I'm exhausted because I just start thinking about, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. And when I'm on, when I'm working out, then usually all I'm thinking about is the music and kind of the, the pain of working out because <laughs> let's face it, it's painful. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't feel awesome until you're done. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the one time that I can't, think and it's I do it first thing it clears out all the junk it, you know gives me a nice endorphin boost and then I'm ready to start my day mm -hmm. um so I like not being able to really think um when I'm on the stair stepper sometimes I'll watch Mad Men if I'm not into the music but apart from that I just listen to music what do you listen to <laughs> or you like me Usually jump over all of the place <laughs> yeah, no, usually it's rap. It's the type of stuff that I really don't like except for when I'm working out. So mm. I there are these two I, I do you say G Easy? Or is uh, it Geezy? No, I think it's G Easy. <laughs> okay. I don't think I've heard of that one. I there are these two G Easy <laughs> songs that I really like and they're kind of obscene and they're not very um <laughs> <laughs> they're a little misogynistic so i kind of cringe mm. but <laughs> it's got a good beat and <laughs> so <laughs> i i try to turn off the feminist part of my brain when i'm working out because <laughs> otherwise i would never have anything to listen to <laughs> i almost never pay attention to lyrics like I, I know what they're saying and i'll get to the point where i memorize songs entirely and my friends will be like how do you know the entirety of rap god and i'm just like listen to it over and over again but I don't like my brain doesn't connect to like what they're saying it's just like the voice is entirely an instrument for me in all music so like yeah. I'll be listening to some rap song and my girlfriend or my friends are like do you understand what he's saying there and I'm like no no but it sounds cool and I love like the interplay between all the syllables and the words and the slant rhymes it's so cool <laughs> you should listen to oh I can't remember the name but there's this really cool famous French rapper and um, I mean, you you won't understand what he's saying, but it doesn't matter. That's so. perfect. <laughs> and it, yeah, I can't remember. My French teacher in high school introduced me to him. Well, if you if you remember it, you should send me a link to Spotify or something. I listen to a lot of K-pop as well, so which obviously cannot tell a thing they're saying. <laughs> yeah, I never listen to K-pop, but <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, basically anything that's high energy is my gym stuff. But yeah, it's cool that you could just go in there. So do it. You do it immediately in the morning, then. Yeah, as soon as I wake up, I go. Oh, even before breakfast. 
Yeah. Okay. Because I don't know. I think it's kind of it's hard to work out on a full stomach. Gotcha. Yeah. There's all this complicated gastric stuff, that, <laughs> especially if you're bouncing up and down. I just think it interferes with my digestion. Yep. Yeah. The yoga teacher's constantly like, yeah, "Yoga's best practice on an empty stomach." But then I'm like, I lift before yoga, so I was like, "No, I need to eat, bro." Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't quite figured out the timing on that one. So, um, getting a little bit back into the topic that we decided to <laughs> record on, um, I wanted to ask you what your process is for getting or for pitching bigger sites. Cause I've seen you write for buffer before and I know the yeah. buffer blog is notoriously difficult to write for because they, they have ridiculously high content standards and they have in-house writers. So they don't have a whole lot of guest posting spots open in the first place, but you got one. So what'd you do to get that? Yeah, so I remember um, Carolyn, who's one of, I think they call it content crafter. You know, Buffer kind of has mm -hmm. weird names, so they're people, cool names, um, but they're different. Um, so I, I saw that she worked there, and I think I just emailed her um, asking if they'd be interested in having a guest poster, and um, I had a couple ideas, and they said, sounds good and huh. that was that so it wasn't it wasn't very difficult I think a lot of times it just kind of takes that bravery and putting yourself out there and realizing or I guess assuming that someone might be interested the other thing um that I think can really help in getting guest posts or regular uh, paid posts is spending some time up front to really make sure that your pitch aligns with the existing content and the audience and hasn't been covered before. Mm -hmm. It just takes a quick Google search um, to figure out if your topic has been covered before. Um, but I think that's a step that a lot of writers and guest posters don't take. Yeah. So. So do you have an idea and then you try to choose the site that will match up with the idea or do you choose a site first and then try to find something they would like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, usually I try, I, I have a running list of publications that I want to write for. And so if I have some free time, maybe I'll just, uh, I used to do this more. Um, but, um, yeah, I would just go to their site, probably spend 20 or 30 minutes reading, uh, you know, their most recent publications and going back in their archives and letting my mind juices swirl around. <laughs> That's a horrible, horrible, horrible way to describe it, but whatever. Um, and then, you know, coming up with, coming up with an idea that, that fits, but that they haven't covered and then you know, writing out a detailed pitch. Okay. So when you pitch them, you're not writing the full article. You're just emailing them saying, hey, I think you would like this idea basically? Yeah. It depends on the publication or the client because everyone has different, you know, some publications, Harvard Business Review uh, won't post anything or won't won't take any piece until they've seen the whole entire thing. Okay. Um, whereas other editors might just want a two sentence description of of what you want to write. So I always try to figure out if there is a standard 
convention. And if a publication doesn't have one, then yeah, I'll just send usually a paragraph just explaining my idea and how long I think it would be if I'm going to interview anyone um, and how long it would take me to turn around. Gotcha. So now yeah. that you have this established audience, you're you know being paid well, what's your batting percentage for pitches? Actually, for the past probably half year, then um, I've had so many requests for work that I'm probably turning down half the people that email me to hire me. So really? I haven't, yeah, I haven't pitched anyone in a long time. And if I did pitch anyone at this point, it would probably just be for the thrill of it. Mm -hmm. um, like, still haven't managed to get in the Atlantic or the New York Times. <laughs> That's I would love to, to write for those. <laughs> <laughs> love to write for those, um, and uh, or Slate. Those mm -hmm. are probably my my top three. Um, what are the top ones so, you've been on so far? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, or maybe what? Were, maybe not in terms of absolute, but like the ones that yeah. you saw as insurmountable when you were trying to go for them. Uh. I'd have to think about that. I know that um, I really wanted to write for the freelancer, which is Contently's Contently site specifically for freelance writers. Mm -hmm. And I knew, knew that that was going to be hard because their audience is also, I mean, when you're writing for freelance writers, you have to imagine that everyone who reads their site is also going to want to be contributing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the weird <laughs> where the audience is also the the producer. So yeah. I thought that they would be really hard to write for. Um, and I pitched them a couple times without hearing back, and then I finally got one, and now I've written. I'm, seven or eight pieces for them so that oh, cool. that always seems good yeah um and normally I, once you get in there and once you prove to an editor that you can make their deadline and that you're open to feedback and that you're a good writer um the second piece is super easy to get it's it's mm. really just getting in there because their inboxes are always flooded and they always have too many oh TechCrunch. i was pretty excited about TechCrunch. Mm -hmm. Um, and Fast Company, um, mainly anywhere that I'm a fan of and I really, really love the writing. It's, it's always fun to have my writing published because it, you know, shows that I meet a certain criteria or standard that I respect. Yeah. Awesome. So I want to wrap up, I mean, I could ask you a bazillion more questions, but, uh, I want to wrap up this interview at least with a bit on your uh, paying off student loans and graduating with savings. Cause yeah. you said you're going to graduate with 12 K in savings and no loans. Mm -hmm. What, like how many, uh, loans did you start out with? Um, I started out with, I think 7,000. Okay. I took out. So one of the things that helped is that, um, I have been taking extra classes to graduate in three years okay. so that I would have less. Um, I got, I applied for um, some of Cal Poly scholarships and I got those, which helped. Um, mm -hmm. And then, so my, so my freshman year, then I took out 
7,000. And um, I ended up paying it off with money that I earned from freelancing. And then for my sophomore and junior years, then instead of taking out any loans, I just paid all my expenses with freelancing. So after that wow. first year, I didn't have to take out any more loans. Yeah. So it only so. took you a year to start making a pretty darn good income with the freelancing. Yeah. Um, I did. I don't know if this was um, bold or smart, but um, every single time I got a new client, I raised my rates. <laughs> So that's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of, um, just kept raising them cause I figured I was worth more with every assignment. I had more experience. Um, I, I could turn out better work. And so, um, I, I'm pretty sure I've hit the upper limit. Now <laughs> I would feel a little audacious asking for more than I currently do, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, it didn't take me since I was doing that so quickly. Then it didn't take me very long to build up pretty substantial, uh, pretty substantial revenue. Okay. And what was the volume of work you were doing? Because I mean, you were also balancing this with school, and I'm familiar yeah. with letting school go by the wayside a little bit for blogging. <laughs> <laughs> um. So right now, I try to write 1,800 words a day. Um, and what's the kind of split for articles wise? Is that like one article or is that two or? It kind of depends. Um, I've lately gotten into writing articles in the 1500 to 5,000 word range. Oh, wow. um, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I just think there's so much you can do and you just can get really, really into a topic. And it's also for a different type of audience. It's normally for startup founders or marketers or people that are more technical and want a highly detailed explanation of how to do something or really deep dive into a topic. Mm -hmm. um, so for 1800 words, you know, that could be um, a fourth, a third of a post. Uh, wow. If it's a 600 word post, you know, then that's three articles. Yeah. So how many articles a week are you doing then? I think last time I counted around 21. Per week? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that oh, is I, impressive. I just, I just finished this post for one of my clients about my workflow. And mm -hmm. at this point, you know, I've just got it. Solid workflow. Don't waste any time. I don't normally edit. Um, I try to write everything first time. Okay. But it also helps uh, because I've been doing it you know day in day out so often that um there are certain writing conventions and yeah. and formats that i just can whip out um when is that article going to go up because i would imagine that that's going to be one of the ones people will want to check out if they're interested yeah. in doing what you do um i can ask my editor i'm not sure okay. when it could be sometime in march or late February, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, if I see it, I'll add it to the show notes. After yeah, this I'll goes definitely live. send it to you. Yeah, because man, 21 articles. I think at my peak, I did 31 in one month. So <laughs> I was never and doing. How long were they? <laughs> at that point, they usually weren't super long. Maybe like 900 to 1,000. Uh, and then I started moving into the longer form stuff. And I think my largest article is 14,000 words. 
So oh that one's God. almost a book, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you um do you like longer form or? Yes, form? I do. Uh, so I've kind of settled into. I don't actually blog for the sake of blogging anymore. Um, mm-hmm. every article I write is the companion to a video I make. So okay. it's just I write the script for the video and then I will transition that script into a well-formed blog post. And because okay. I want my videos to be around six to seven minutes, that means the blog posts are going to be about a thousand words okay. by design. So I I have kind of gotten away from doing like the big 3,000, 4,000 word posts. Um, and I think like my next long form piece of writing will probably be another book at some point. That's awesome. Which actually, I was going to ask is do you have a like a is a book in the future for you? Yeah, I actually already wrote one. Um, oh. It's a guide to freelance writing. Okay. Um, I wrote it for my senior project in college. I figured that that would be a nice kill two birds with one yeah. stone. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I have to. Um, <laughs> I did the same thing. I, uh, did you really? Not a book, but I did. I did a kill two th- uh, two birds with one stone thing where I made something for my business and as my senior project. <laughs> I have gotten a lot of college credit for my internships and stuff like that. I figure you gotta you gotta put it to work somehow. So um mm. I mean apart from the fact that it already is working for you. Yeah. But um um so I still have to it's I have to kind of put it into ebook form for my as part of this senior project. So okay. it should be coming out sometime in the next couple months gotcha but yeah awesome so i think that's probably a good part to wrap up but man this has been a really cool conversation i feel like you figured out how to english major (laughs) (laughs) well i have to say i i i'm glad i never wanted to be a teacher and (laughs) so i figured i had to find something else (laughs) and i think i did (laughs) awesome well, I'm going to go dig through your portfolio after this and try to find a bunch of the articles we talked about, but I may have to email you as well to find all yeah. of them because I want to link them up in the show notes along Anything with the uber uh, interesting QUIC, which I'm sure everyone wants to go look at. <laughs> I really hope that people read that. <laughs> <laughs> it's riveting. It's the next Twilight, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> Experimental transport layer. I remember that's what it was. <laughs> Yeah, so before we wrap up, is there, um, I'm going to steal a page from Tim Ferriss' book. Uh, okay. Is there anything like you want my audience to do or would you like them to go to a specific place? Um, They should follow me on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Help me get my next round of followers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so is Twitter your main kind of hub for all of your activity then? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, apart from that... What they should do, um, they should go eat a tri-tip sandwich because that's what I'm planning on doing today. A tri-tip I'm really sandwich? It. Yeah. What is that? It's, uh, well, tri-tip, you know, the uh, pig meat product and sandwich. I've never <laughs> so, heard of that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you're totally missing out. <laughs> okay, writing that down as well. Maybe it's a California thing. I don't know. Yeah, I mean the Central Coast uh, of California is known for its its barbecue. Okay. Yeah. I can get okay barbecue here. Um, when I go to Austin, that's when I get the good barbecue. 
Yeah, I don't think we have as good as Austin. <laughs> so <laughs> I I don't think that it's that good, but <laughs> it's like the West Coast Austin. Yeah, it's as good as it gets in California. <laughs> cool. All right, Asia. Well, thanks so much for coming to the show. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Once again, if you want to find those show notes, they're over at CIGpodcast.com. Find that episode 97 link on the page to find all the links we talked about. I'm also going to include some links to some more of Asia's writing so you can get a feel for it or dig into some of those topics that we talked about. And also on that show notes page, you'll also find a link to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. So if you want to support the show, that is a great way to do it. The more ratings and reviews that the show gets, the higher up it shows up in iTunes and the more people might want to check it out. So if you want to support the show, that's an amazing way to do it and thank you if you do and that is it for this episode so thanks again for listening and i will see you next week stay cute